right now, whether you know it or not, there's a great cosmic battle being fought for the minds and hearts of men, women, boys, and girls. Too many professing Christians claim to believe the Bible, but in fact, their lives reflect secular thinking and secular priorities. To be honest with you, many believers are losing the battle for their mind. They're not losing their minds, they're losing the battle for their mind. We desperately need to renew our minds. In fact, that's the title of the message today is Renewing Your Mind. We need to think biblically and we need to live out the truth of the Christian faith in a tangible way. James Orr made this statement. He said, there's a definite Christian view of things which has a character and a coherence and a unity of its own and stands in sharp contrast to counter theories and speculations. We're talking about a worldview. Everybody has a worldview. I don't care who you are, where you live, everybody has a worldview. And a worldview answers the big questions of life. Questions like these. Who am I? Where did I come from? Why is the world in such a mess? And what's the solution for these myriad of challenges that we face? So I ask you today, what's your worldview? And today I want to challenge every believer to renew your mind and to embrace a biblical worldview that enables you to meet the challenges of life and to live your life in such a way that God is pleased. Does he care about the way you live? Does he care about the way you think? Absolutely. In fact, Jesus made this statement. He was asked, Master, what's the greatest commandment? Listen to what Jesus said. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now get this now. And with all your what? All your mind. Does God care about the way we think? Absolutely. Does God care about the way we live? Absolutely. You must not let your mind be hijacked by the culture. Now with that in mind, I want to bring to your attention the fact that the education departments is bringing forth legislation to expand Title IX to include sexual orientation and gender identity. I want you to watch this video. Watch this video. It will explain what we're up against. A mother and father in Florida are suing their school district after their 12-year-old daughter attempted suicide at her school. According to the parents, it was only then that they were notified that she had been receiving counseling from the school about her gender identity and that it was kept from the family because of their Catholic faith. Immediately called the school 
I was told I cannot be given any information about the meeting because my daughter was now protected by a non-discrimination law, essentially protected from me. They presume me to be a danger to my child. So Title IX is the landmark law passed in 1972 that banned sex discrimination in all federally funded K-12 and college education programs and sports. Now, 50 years later, the Biden administration is working to undermine those sex-based protections and to promote radical gender identity ideology as mandated policy in our schools. On July 12th, the administration announced their intention to rewrite the scope of Title IX to include sexual orientation and gender identity, all without congressional approval. The new rules would universally undermine biological sex and endorse an ideology that teaches children they can be born in the wrong body. They would allow school officials to authorize a child's gender transition at school without requiring the consent of their parents. This will do children medical harm. Many children will go on to chemical and surgical changes that end in sterility, infertility, and lifelong sexual dysfunction. Ironically, these changes would hijack the equal opportunities it once provided girls by forcing girls to share private spaces and to compete against biological males in their sports. The administration is required to consider the negative impacts of its proposed rules. Parents, educators, and community leaders must make your concerns known by submitting public comments through the online portal telling the administration why these new rules should not be adopted. You must do this by September 12th. Visit our website for more information, a link to the federal online portal, and resources to help you. There, there comes a time when Christian people have to say enough is enough. When the government tries to usurp the role of dads and moms in a family, that's when we say enough is enough. Now, this morning at 1030, we schedule an email to every church member. You, you may have already gotten it. If, you, if, you, if it's not there, look in your junk mail or your, your spam. It, it, we send it to every church member. And in that email, we included some action steps that you can take. We must email the Department of Education by September the 12th. That's a week from tomorrow. So I want to flood the Department of Education with comments, Christian comments from Christian people saying enough is enough. By law, they have to respond to all the comments. And, and what I'm hoping will happen is that Christians all over this nation will absolutely pulverize the Department of Education with comments. And if they don't respond to all the comments, it sets them up for a lawsuit. So it's very important that every Christian in this room send an email. Now, if you're, if you're not a member of the church, you can contact the church on Tuesday and we'll get you the information that we sent our church members, okay? So we cannot, we must not let the culture hijack our minds and our hearts. So I want to point you to a man 
who learned to think the way God wanted him to think. His name was David. He lived about 3,000 years ago, and he was Israel's greatest king. It was David who wrote Psalm 8. So go ahead and take your copy of the Word of God and turn to Psalm 8. This psalm is applied to the Lord Jesus Christ several times in the New Testament. In Matthew 21, 16, Hebrews 2, verses 6 to 8, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 27, and Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. This, of course, points to how important this psalm is in the life of believers. Let's just dig into the psalm and look at it together. Look at verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands and you have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that through the Holy Spirit's ministry, you would make the words of this psalm come alive in our hearts and that you would direct our hearts to be the people that you want us to be, to think the way you want us to think, and to live the way you want us to live. Lord, do a work in our hearts today, in Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at verse 1. Let's just slow it down. Look at verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. I want you to notice, and when I, when I started studying this psalm, the first thing that caught my attention is how it begins and how it ends. It begins one way and it ends the same way. It's like a, an envelope psalm and everything in between is based upon the praise and the majesty of the name of the Lord our God. It's an open and shut case that demonstrates how vital it is that a Christian thinks about God before he or she thinks about themselves or the world that we live in. Unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be the priority among a lot of secular people and even among a lot of Christians. So I want you to picture in your mind's eye the shepherd David out on a beautiful night taking care of his father's sheep. It's crystal clear. He's not in a city where 
the city lights dim the heavens. No, he's out in the wide open and he can look into the heavens and he sees far more than you and I can see in Carville, Tennessee on a bright, clear night. And there he is. He's, he looks up into the, the skies and, and he sees the moon like a giant glowing orb almost within arm's reach. He, he looks into the starry host hanging there like chandelier in the heavens. And he is absolutely amazed and his heart is pounding as he focuses on God and he thinks about God. He doesn't think about himself. He doesn't think about the fact that he's out here roughing it in the wilderness by himself, taking care of the sheep. He doesn't think about the fact that he might have to uh, attack a wolf that's attacking the sheep. He doesn't think about stuff like that. All he's thinking about is God. And, and, and so David begins the psalm by using two great names for God. You see him right there in verse one. That, O oh Lord, you notice the Lord, the first Lord is all caps. That, that pictures the name Yahweh, the covenant name of God. He said, O oh Jehovah. And then the second Lord is the Hebrew word Adonai, Adonai. He says, O oh Jehovah, O oh Adonai. How majestic is your name in all the earth who've displayed your splendor above the heavens. One of the most important responsibilities that we have as believers is to think about God. And I tell you, we need to spend more time thinking about God. You know what I found a great resource to help me think about God? Reading my Bible. Seriously. I promise you, friend, if you read your Bible on a regular basis, if you just carve out some time, read your Bible, and you read about the glory of God, you read about the attributes of God, you cannot help but think about God. I couldn't help but think about God in worship a few moments ago when we're singing about the faithfulness and the goodness of God, and I see a young lady up here singing her heart out knowing what she'd been through and what she faces this week, her, her and Josh. That's thinking about God. I, I can tell you this, if you learn to think about God on a regular basis and not think about yourself, it will only help you to be the person that God wants you to be and God will bless you for thinking about him. Look at verse two, from the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. You, you see all the attributes of God come into play when we think about him. I'm talking about his glory, his sovereignty, his power, his goodness, his faithfulness, his wisdom, his grace, his will, all of these things flood our minds and hearts when we think about God. While God is so powerful, 
that he uses the weak to confound the strong. That's what this verse two is all about. You know, interestingly, Jesus quoted this very verse in the New Testament. He was in the temple area. He was healing the blind and lame who were coming to him. I tell you, it was an amazing uh, heaven-sent moment there in Jerusalem. And guess what happened? The Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees all uh, uh, came against Jesus, accusing him of receiving praise that was reserved only for God. You see the little children there in the temple area were, were singing to Jesus exactly what they heard at his triumphal entry, in, entry, Hosanna to the son of David. And I tell you, the religious folks wigged out. They wigged out, folks. And so what did Jesus do? He responded by quoting Psalm 8, verse 2. Matthew chapter 21, verse 15 and 16, if you want to locate it in, in your copy of the word. The Bible says, but when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant and said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise for yourself. God the Father was using children to bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Jewish Messiah. I, I can tell you this, I love having children in our worship service. I absolutely love it. Now, do they get a little antsy sometimes? Do they... They make noises sometimes. That's fine. That's, that's perfectly fine. I can tell you this. If you're a parent or grandparent in this room, your kids will pick up more in a worship service than you ever thought possible, and you may not even have an inkling that they're picking it up. But you get home, they talk to you, you're, you're eating lunch together, and they may ask you a question about something I said. You know what that does? That gives you an opportune moment to help your kids to learn to think about God, to let your kids praise God and worship God and glorify God. The Jewish leaders here were the, were the uh, adversaries and the enemy and the revengeful that was referred there to there in Psalm chapter 8, verse 2. Well, let's look at verse 3 and 4. David wrote, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? You see, David saw himself not as a product of evolution, but he saw himself as a product of of the creation of God. David was not an evolutionist. <laughs> David was a creationist. How astonishing is it that the God who created this vast, beautiful, starry host in the heavens, the Orion, Centaurus, Pleiades, Ulsa Major, 
the Big Dipper, Canis Major, all these beautiful starry constellations, God put them there. And the Bible says that God didn't even have to use his arm or his hand. He used his fingers. Every star has been placed exactly where God wanted it to be placed. And God spoke those stars into existence. And the Bible says that God has given every single star, billions and billions and billions of stars, their own names. I tell you, that should absolutely humble us and cause our hearts to explode in praise and worship to the Lord, our creator, God. And to think that this God would think consistently and persistently about little old us. Think about it. That's what David's saying here. What is man, verse 4, that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? God, look what you've done, David says. You've created all of this beauty, all of this vast array of stars and galaxies spread across the universe. And God, how could you even think about little old me? That's what he's saying. You say, well, pastor, I can understand how you think about David. But I don't understand how God could think about me. I'm so insignificant. Do you know that that if you're in this room or you're watching live stream, you need to know that you were created by God and you are not insignificant. You're not insignificant. You matter to God. And you matter to the people in your lives. You matter to your family. You matter to your friends. But most importantly, You matter to God. He knew what he was doing. The Bible says that you were created in your mother's womb. Well, who created you? God created you in your mother's womb. You're a product of the handiwork of God Almighty. And that makes you significant. That makes you important. You have a a, a role to play in the kingdom of God that is at work on this earth today and that one day will be consummated when the Lord Jesus comes again. Who are we that the Son of God would put on human flesh, become a human being, be born in Bethlehem, live a perfect life and offer himself as a sacrifice on the cross of Calvary for our sins. Who are we? Who are we that the the Lord Jesus would be able to forgive our sins and, and give us a new hope and new desires and a new purpose? Who are we? Who are we that the resurrected Jesus should one day take us to heaven to see his glory and to live in the presence of his glory forever and ever? Who are we? That's why David asked this important question. It boggled his mind. He was stunned. I love what Dr. Rogers said. He said, I quote, some people underestimate man. 
They see man as a blob of protoplasm, an insect upon the earth, just another animal but a little bit more complex. If you talk about man that way, it makes him seem highly insignificant. And then Dr. Rogers said other people overestimate man. They make man the sum total of everything. They almost deify man, and man seems to worship himself. You can almost hear some people standing with their chest stuck out saying, our brothers which art on earth, hallowed be our name, our kingdom come, our will be done. Somewhere in between underestimating man and overestimating man is the biblical view of man. And I am so glad that we're studying Psalm 8 today because David, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us the biblical view of man. I want you to see what he said in the next few verses. Look at verse 5. Yet you have made him a little lower than God. And you crown him with glory and majesty. Now, now your Bible, your translation Bible may say you've made him a little lower than angels. Actually, the, the word, the Hebrew word there is Elohim. It's a word for God. But it's also used in some cases for angels. Most conservative scholars believe that it's a reference to God. You have made him a little lower than God. And you crown him with glory and majesty. Man is certainly the greatest of God's creation. Let me tell you, the greatest of God's creation is not the snail darter. The greatest of God's creation is not the eagle. The greatest of God's creation is not the hippopotamus. The greatest of God's creation is mankind. That's the greatest of God's creation. Well, how do we know that? Well, it's almost like David went back and studied what Moses wrote there in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, 28. Let me read it to you. By the way, next week I'm starting a new series of sermons entitled Straight Thinking in a Crooked World. And we're going to look verse by verse through the, one of the most significant portions of Scripture that answers a lot of worldview questions for us. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter 11, beginning next Sunday. I encourage you to be here. So here's what, 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 God, what God recorded for us in Genesis 1, verse 26, 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Listen, there's a secular view in our world today that is running absolutely rampant and it's the view of mother earth. Let me tell you, there's no such thing as mother earth. There's only father God. 
And Father God created everything and he took everything that he created and he placed it under the rule and the dominion of man. Unfortunately, Adam and Eve sinned. And that dominion was stripped away from them at, at some level. But I got some good news for you in just a moment. The Bible says that we must renew our minds by focusing on what the God, the creator says about us. He says to every person in this room that you are created in the image of God. He didn't say that about puppy dogs. He didn't say that about kitty cats. He didn't say that about horses or he didn't say that about mules or anything, anything else. He said that about mankind. You're created in the image of God. And God said that multiple times in the text I just read in Genesis 1 verses 26 to 28. Look at verse 6. Psalm 8, verse 6, you make him to rule over the work of your hands. You put all things under his feet. What made David think about God? Well, obviously, he thought about God when he looked at creation. He looked at the starry host. But he thought about God when he remembered what Moses had written in Genesis 1 Verses 26 to 28. Look at verse 7 and 8. All sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas, all of that God has put under the authority and the dominion of mankind. Now let, let me point you to Hebrews chapter 2 verses 5 through 8. It's one of those passages in the New Testament that refers to Jesus and it quotes Psalm chapter 8. Look at what it says. For he did not subject to angels the world to come concerning which we're speaking. But one has testified somewhere saying, what is man that you remember him? Where, where did that come from? Psalm 8, Right. These are the words of David. What is man that you remember him or the son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. The New Testament calls it angels there. You have crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in sub Now look at this last part of verse 8. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not see all things subjected to him. We don't see it today because of sin. God created man to rule over his creation. But sin messed everything up. The Lord Jesus came 2,000 years ago to save us from our sins and to restore us to our rightful place. In fact, in Christ, in Christ, the Bible says in Romans 5, 17, that we can reign in life. You and I, as born-again believers, can reign in life. It says in Romans 6, verses 11 to 14, that we can reign over sin. We can rule over sin. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 
verses 54 to 57, that we can reign over death. And it says in Revelation 22, verse 5, that we can reign with Jesus forever and ever when he creates the new heavens and the new earth. How could we not join David in letting our hearts just overflow with praise and glory and worship to our great and awesome God? And look how he ends the psalm. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. After studying this psalm, I had a thought that kept coming back to my mind. I always look for a, a truth that captures the essence of the text that I preach. Because I want you to be able to walk out of here today with this thought in your mind. And I want you to meditate on it. I want you to think about it. I want you to talk about it with your kids and your grandkids. Here's the thought. You've got to think right to live right. Do you know if you think wrong, you'll never live the way God wants you to live. But I tell you, if you think right, if you think biblically, you can live the way God wants you to live. You can live in a way that would please him and honor him. So let me give you two things to think about this next week. Two things. Number one, I want you to think about God's greatness. Think about his greatness. Shift your focus from yourself and your problems and your pains and your hurts and focus on the greatness of God. A failure to do so will be detrimental to your spiritual life and to the purpose that God created you to carry out for him in this world. In fact, now listen to this. A failure to think about God or to think wrongly about God is idolatry. You say, Pastor, that's mighty strong. It's true. A failure to think about God or to think wrongly about God is idolatry. A lot of people in the world today are thinking wrongly about God. They've sort of created a God in their own imagination. Well, my God would never send anybody to hell. Well, my God would never say that I can't love somebody that I love. And my God, and we've created a subjective God in our own minds and our own imaginations. I'll tell you, friend, that is idolatry. You, you say, well, where can I learn about God? You can learn about God in his word. Make sure that your idea of God matches what the Bible reveals about God. And you'll be protected from idolatry. So that, number one, think about God's greatness. Just meditate on it. Think about it. Take your Bible. Get out a, a notebook and, and write about the greatness of God that you see revealed in the Scriptures. Here's another thing to think about. Think about God's goodness. I, I'm amazed when I read this, this chapter how the God who created this vast universe would care about me and would care about you. You know what the Bible says? 
in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. The Bible says, cast your cares upon God. Listen, because he cares for you. That same creator God, the great God who with his, just his fingers placed the stars where he wanted them. He cares about you. See, some of you are going through very difficult times right now. Some of you are hurting. I'm telling you, I, I felt led by the Holy Spirit to bring Brooke up here and try to encourage her and Josh and Harper and Ollie. Well, why? why? Why would the Holy Spirit lay that on my heart? Because he cares about them. He cares about them. He loves them. Why, he loved them so much that he would send Jesus to die on the cross for their sins so that they could be forgiven and that they could spend eternity with Brecken in heaven. Think about the goodness of God. Think about how he sent his son to die for our sins and he raised him from the dead so we could have the gift of eternal life. Think about how he made it possible for you as a believer to reign in life, to reign over sin, to reign over death and to reign with Christ throughout eternity. Oh, what a good God we have. It's time. It's time that we renew our minds. It's time that we think biblically. And whatever we do, we must not let the culture hijack our minds. Would you bow your heads with me? With your heads bowed, your eyes closed. I'm going to ask our worship team to come, our staff to come. I just want you, as they're coming, I want you to think about God. Think about him. Think about his greatness. Think about his goodness. There, there are some of you in this room and you've never received Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. Or you've been, you've been thinking about doing it at some point, but you, you've been procrastinating. I want to invite you today to believe in Jesus with all your heart. Receive him as your Savior and your Lord. You say, well, what do I do, Pastor? You just come to one of our staff members. You just tell them today, I want to be saved. I want to believe in Jesus. And then I, I want to encourage you today. If you're a believer here, I want to encourage you to think about coming to the altar and bowing your knees before our great majestic God. And right here at this altar, just worship him by praising him for his greatness and his goodness. Maybe there's a, a special prayer request you want to pray when you come to this altar. Or maybe you want one of our staff members to pray for you. We'll be glad to do that. Maybe you and your family are looking for a church home. And that's what God wants to do in your life this morning. 
you come. You obey him this morning. You think about him. Don't think about yourself. You think about him and what he wants out of your life. Father, thank you so much that you're a great, majestic, awesome God. And thank you that you're a good God who would even care about us and you would take insignificant people like us and use us in significant ways for your glory. Lord, we're so grateful. Oh God, please don't let us take you for granted. Please help us to think about you and not think about ourselves so much. In Jesus' name.